series we're on today is part two of the series. It's just a four-part series called Between the Trees. Didn't think about it when I scheduled it in here, but this was the first ever sermon series I ever put together uh, in my entire life. I actually did this when I was in college for a children's camp uh, uh, that was at uh, Quaker Hill Camp in McCall. So that I wasn't thinking about it until we talked about it in Bible study this week, uh, and it came back up again, but uh, it's kind of neat. I, never, I didn't think about it when I planned it, but this is the first ever sermon series I ever, ever put together in my entire life, so it's kind of cool. Today we're in Genesis chapter 3. We started last week in Genesis chapter 1, end of 1 and 2, and we talked about the creation of the world, right? We focused our attention on, on us, on the creation of human beings, on Adam and Eve, and, and what all God had asked them to do. If you remember for just a second, is God had created this beautiful garden in Eden for them, creates Adam, after he created all the animals and everything else in, in all the world, in all the universe, and he has all this, Adam name all the animals, and Adam's naming them, and, and, and Scripture tells us that no suitable helper is found for him in any of those, and so he, he puts Adam under anesthesia and takes one of his ribs, and we talked about that, right? Of the, of the rib is important because it's a, a beside, it's, it's an equal. It's not his feet, not his head, not that women are below or above men, that they're equal with them. And, and he presents... Eve to Adam, and he goes, whoa, right? Like, this is, now we're talking. This is good. And we, leave, we left the story last week, kind of a, actually a weird place if you think about it. If you're used to the Genesis story, it's not weird. If you're not used to the Genesis story, it's kind of a weird place. We left the story last week with them becoming one flesh, and they're naked, right? I mean, that's how the story ended last week. It's like, okay, that's fun. Uh, they're in the garden with God. They walk and talk with him. They're in this relationship with each other and with God, and it's, it's perfect, right? It's perfection. It's how... God intended it to be. Now, perfection didn't last long, and that's where we get to today in chapter 3, right? It doesn't take Adam and Eve long to mess this whole thing up. Now, I'm going to poke fun at them a little bit, Adam and Eve, because I think we should poke fun at them a little bit, but also remember that we followed suit. We're just like them, right? We've all gone away, and we've all gone astray, excuse me, and we've all done our own thing, and we've all sinned just like them. Now, it's easy to pick fun of them because they had one rule, and they messed it up, right? It's like, come on, guys, it's not that hard. We have a lot more than that, but we're just like them, right? We're, we're, we're their children, nonetheless. So jump into chapter 3, and your, I don't know if your Bible says, mine says the fall. So you know that's not going to sound great, right? Uh, the fall is nothing, no one likes to fall, and uh, it's not a good time. So just prepare yourself for that. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now it's interesting to look at what they say here. Let me grab my clicker real fast so I can change the slide for you. I want to show you a few things and, and it shows you what Adam and Eve actually think about God very early on. So the serpent comes. Now, later church tradition has said that Satan's in the serpent, right? That it's Satan doing the tempting. But it's a serpent here, right? And of course it is, because they're gross, right? Who, I mean, snakes are nasty. I mean, if you like them, I'm sorry. But they're just, I don't, I don't trust them. They're weird. It's, you, can't, you don't know what they're going to do, right? They're just, I don't, ugh. Ugh. Okay, so the serpent is crafty. 
more crafty than any other animal that God had created. And so he comes to, to Adam and Eve and said, are you sure God said that? Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? And what did, did God say that? God told them that they couldn't eat fruit from one tree in the garden. So pay attention to the wording in this. It's really important. It's actually a kind of a blueprint for us on how we get tempted and how things go south in a hurry. First of all, Satan, in the form of the serpent, is twisting God's words right from the get-go, right? So God created all these beautiful trees and not letting you eat from any of them? That's what you're telling me. And he should have said, no, no. There's one tree we can't eat from. All the rest of them are fine. But she doesn't. She just listens. So her response to the serpent is this. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. So her response is, no, 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 hang on, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat from any of them. He said there's just this one tree in the middle that we can't even touch. There's a problem with Eve's response. It's incorrect. We go back to what we looked at last week, Genesis chapter 2. This is the commandment God gives them. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And what did Eve just say here? Her response to the serpent is, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. God didn't say that. God didn't say you couldn't touch the tree. He said don't eat from the tree. Now, it would be a good idea not to touch it, right? But God didn't say that. And guys, this is, the, this is the birth of legalism. didn't take long. It did not take long. Legalism is the idea of taking what God says and adding to it, right? We see it all the time in the church. Constantly, we add to what God said. Think about just one issue, for, for example. I know it can be touchy, but think about the, the issue of alcohol. Now, I don't drink I tried wine once. It tastes like vinegar with a little bit of grape. I don't know what you guys are so crazy about. It's gross, right? I'll take a Pepsi any day over that. You like it? Great for you. God bless you. It's nasty, okay? You took vinegar, you put one grape in it, and you it's gross. I don't know what you guys are doing. Okay, I tried it. I couldn't even gag it down. But the scripture never says, I've read the whole thing cover to cover, never says, you cannot drink alcohol. But there are lots of Christians who will say, you can't drink it. The scripture says, don't get drunk. And if you've ever been a designated driver, you know why it says that, right? Drunk people are stupid. Sorry, they're dumb. They're not fun. They fall all the time. They're annoying, right? They talk all the time. Either they're they're crying or they want to fight. You're like, what is, stop, right? Like, just settle down. Be a designated driver, you know exactly why God said, don't get drunk. It's simple, right there. That's all you have to do. But God never says, hey, you can't drink alcohol. Matter of fact, Jesus' first miracle he takes water, and what's he turn it into? And if you read the stories correctly, it's good wine. But we, as a church, we go, well, God said don't get drunk. Well, that means you can't drink anything. And that's exactly what Eve's doing here. It's the very birth of legalism. It's taking what God said and adding to it, making it more extreme. You think about in the Gospels, Jesus opposed to people, religious leaders, who have done what? Who have become legalistic who have taken the 613 commands that God put in the Old Testament, that's enough of them, right? I can barely keep five of them straight. 613 commands found in the Old Testament, and then they added to it. 
Like, you're not going to keep the 613. How are you going to keep more, right? I mean, Paul literally says that in one of his letters, saying when, when there's a debate about whether Gentile people, non-Jewish people, should become Jewish people first to become Christians. And Paul's response is, we couldn't follow the law. How are they going to? Right? We've been trying for thousands of years. We can't get it right. There's no way they're going to do it. And I believe the birth of legalism is here. This is his first start. His first beginnings is when Eve says, well, we can't even touch the tree. The problem is God didn't say that. He didn't say they couldn't touch the tree. He said, don't eat from it. And when God gives us a word not to do it, it's not because he's bored, because he has nothing better to do than to torment us. It's because he knows the best way for us to live. And he says, hey, it'll go well for you if you don't kill everybody around you, right? Well, yeah, we all know that. Yeah, people are going to like you more if you're not a murderer. It just is what it is, right? I mean, hey, don't commit adultery. Don't do this, don't do that. Well, if you do those things, things go well for you. Now, the problem is we mess them up sometimes, right? We mess them up. We're going to get into that. Look at Satan's response, though, to Eve. So Eve responds, responds to Satan, so this serpent, and says, yes. God said we can eat from all these trees, but there's this one tree here that we, that we can't eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't eat from that tree. God said don't eat from it. And look what the serpent does. You'll not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What does Satan, the serpent, do? He says, come on now. He's... God doesn't have the, your best in mind. He's holding you back. He's holding you back. You could be so much more if you just do what you want to do. Man, that temptation is still true today for each and every one of us. How often is it a friend or it's a person or it's just ourselves? We have this inner debate in ourselves going, man, maybe God doesn't have what's best in mind for me. Maybe I should do this. We've all been there, right? We all survived our teenage years, hopefully where we, we were in constant rebellion, it seems like, right, to whatever it was. Some gave me a rule, I'd love to break it. That's kind of the attitude, right, we sometimes get. Not the attitude we should have. It's the attitude we sometimes, sometimes have. Is there, are we sure God has the best in store for me? The answer, of course, when we come to our senses is, yeah. But we fight in our, inside ourselves sometimes, going, maybe if I, if I did that, it, it would be a good time. Now, sin will be a good time for a while. It will be. You can have a great time for a while. It'll catch up to you. And man, when it does, it's not going to be fun. And you will burn some bridges along the way. We all have experienced that in our lives, of making wrong choices consistently and, and burning those bridges and having those people walk away from us. It's not much fun. But it'll, it'll be good for a little bit. What God's doing in the garden is trying to keep and protect Adam and Eve, Right? trying to keep perfection going. So he gives them the rule, don't eat from it. Now we talked a little bit last week of why does God even put this tree in the garden, right? He puts it in the garden because God's not a taskmaster, not a slave driver, and he gives us choice. And that's true for us today, right? God isn't going to make you believe in him. He's not going to make you follow him. God is a, is a God of freedom. And so he puts this tree here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so Adam and Eve have a choice. If there's just a tree of life, and there's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they don't have a choice. They have to choose God. They have to follow God, right? God's not that way. He, he wants us to love him. He's not going to make us. He's not going to force us. And so that's why this tree is there. And so the serpent uses this tree as the, as the way of tricking Adam and Eve, right? 
And he says, God knows that when you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. There's a problem, guys. You and I aren't like God. We've been created in his image, which gives us value and worth, but we aren't like him. His ways are far beyond our ways. His wisdom is far beyond our wisdom. And it goes on and on and on and on and on, right? We aren't like him, and we're never going to be like him. We're created in his image, which is an honor, but we're not going to be like him ever. He is way, way greater than you and I will ever be. But the temptation is you'll be like God. Your eyes will be opened, and you'll know good and evil. Now, guys, we've lived on this earth, however long you've lived here, you know good and evil, right? Evil kind of sucks. There's no way around it. It's not much fun. If you don't believe me, watch the nightly news tonight. You'll be depressed 15 minutes in, right? You'll be like, holy cow, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. The promise that the serpent gives to Adam and Eve is, hey, you'll know good and evil. We all know it. We live on this side of the tree, right? It's not that great. The problem with Adam and Eve is they don't know it, right? They've only walked and talked with God in the garden. We're all jealous of it, going, man, that's, that's great. You have, literally in a relationship, you get to see God face to face. And the serpent's able to trick them by saying, hey, you'll know good and evil. Well, they don't know what evil is yet. And so, well, you'll see what happens next. Pay attention to the details of this part, too. This is really important. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now look at the progression of what happened. Eve looks at the tree goes, it looks okay. Now, I don't know where we got the apple from, right? I'm not sure where that came from. We have no idea what the fruit was that was on the tree. We had the apple. I have no clue what the history of the apple being the representation of the sin is, but it's, it's probably not right, right? I have no idea what the fruit was. But she looks at the fruit, and it looks good. Looks like, hmm, that looks good. I can eat it, and it'll, it'll give me some wisdom. And so she eats. Now think about the way you and I, how we sin, when we fall short, when we mess up. Very rarely do we sin in an instant. Very rarely are we presented with a situation and then we just sin. Now sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we open our mouths way too fast and go, ha, 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 I wish I could reel, reel those words back in. You can't, right? They're gone, but you'd love to. That happens. But most of the time, I think, speaking on my, from my own experience, sin is something that's been contemplated. It's been thought out. Right? You've gotten to the place where you're getting a little more comfortable with it. You go, okay. And you're kind of having this internal debate within yourself. Going, ah, I know I shouldn't, but I kind of want to. Right? We, we experience that. And what does Eve do? She looks at the tree. Now God has said, don't eat from it. One rule, don't eat from it. But she looks at it and she goes, ah, it looks, it looks good. Now you and I know that everything that looks good isn't always good. There are all kinds of things that look good that aren't good for you. There's all kinds of people who look really nice on the outside but are full of all kinds of nasty things, right? Jesus talks about that. He calls the Pharisees unmarked graves in the Gospels, right? Which is a really great insult. Because before holy times in Jerusalem, they would whitewash all the tombs because if you touched one, you were unclean, you couldn't participate in the religious activities 
of the, of the time, right? So they would go through and whitewash all the tombs so people wouldn't set on them because you became unclean ceremonially. You couldn't worship in the temple. And Jesus refers to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, saying you look great on the outside, but you're full of all kinds of dead things, right? Which is a great insult. I mean, not for us because no one's going to know what you're talking about, but it's a great insult. And that's what we're talking about here, right? Is this tree looks great. Sin looks fantastic sometimes from the outside. But man, once you eat of it, it doesn't take long to realize that it's not that great. That it's oversold itself. It's like the commercial on TV, right? When you order something, if you've ever been sick and you're up late at night and the infomercials comes on and you're like, I need that, right? And you order it and it comes and it's not, it, it doesn't prevent your house from catching on fire. I don't know how it, you know, the, the special paint didn't do that, but it didn't. And, and you're out all that money, right? Well, it didn't, deser- it, didn't de- it didn't fulfill the promise it was making. And all kinds of things do that all the time. And that's what sin does. It cannot fulfill the promise it's making. It promises a great time. It's not going to be great. And so she eats from it. And she gives it to Adam. And old dum-dum eats too, right? God gave the commandment to him. If you go back in the story, he actually gave the commandment to Adam. Adam's supposed to tell Eve, right? So Adam just goes along with it. It's like, come on, dude. Like, have some guts and a spine and say, no, we're not going to do this. But he does, and he just eats. He's already being obedient, right? Being trained, apparently already. <laughs> they eat, and their eyes are open. They've sinned. And they realize it's not all that great. And look what happens in verse 8. It's the uh-oh time, right? It's when you did something wrong at school, and either if you, rode, if you walked home or you rode a bus, and you had to wait till 5 o'clock or 5.30 when your parents got home to tell them. This is, what, this is that time period in between, right? You're like, oh, this is not going to be fun. You had a stomach ache the entire time. Like, ah, oh, they're going to find... If you grew up in Weezer, your parents already knew, right, before you actually got home. <laughs> like I did. You're, they already knew about it. You, weren't, you didn't need to wait. They, they came in the door knowing what happened. Someone already made a phone call to them. But that's what happens here, Right? Here comes God. It's like, uh uh-oh, reckoning time. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look what sin does to us. Sin causes us to hide from the only one who loves us unconditionally. That's what sin does. It, It causes us to run from the one we should be running to. And so they hide from God. What are you hiding from God for? He's, the scripture tells us he is love. That's what John tells us. That God is in himself. Part of his DNA, part of his makeup is literally love. And they're running from him. See, sin does some funny things to us. See, sin doesn't separate God from us. It separates us from God. God's still chasing us. Even when we're in our sins. You don't believe me, read the book of Romans. Read the Gospels. If, if sin separated God from us, Jesus doesn't come to earth. How's he going to do it? He's going to be around a bunch of sinners. What sin does is it separates us from God. It creates a divide that we now start running from God instead of running to God. That's what sin does in our lives, and, it does, and we see it right here. God comes for his daily walk, and on that walk he talks to Adam and Eve. Right? He cares for them. He makes sure everything, all their needs are met. And as he's coming to walk to meet them, they run and hide. And so God going, where did these guys go? 
So it says in verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What's going on? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. What's that? That's called shame, right? I'm ashamed of what I did, so I'm going to go hide. We see it all the time with two or three-year-olds. You're potty training, and they go to the bathroom in their diaper, right? So they go hide in the corner. You're like, what are you doing over there? They go in the bathroom. Like, oh, come on, man. God says in verse 11, who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So there's only one way you know you're naked. If you ate from the tree. So God asked, did you eat from the tree? Now's the time you're like, oh, here we go, right? And the man said, this is, guys, this part is fantastic. This is the blame game. The man said, hey, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What's Adam do? He blames Eve. You made her, God, and you put her here with me, and she handed it to me, and I ate it. Now, we know from the story that Adam received the commandment, right? Hey, Adam, don't eat from that tree. Now what's he doing? This is sin, guys. This is what happens when sin gets ahead of steam. He's blaming Eve. Well, she gave it to me. Well, dude, you're standing there. Be a man, right? Like, fess up to it. You were right there, too. Look, and it doesn't stop there. Look what continues to happen. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now who's she blaming? She's blaming the serpent. We're just passing the buck right down the line here, right? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. This is what sin does. It takes us so far from God that we start blaming other people. It's not their fault. Take responsibility for your own actions, right? Eve, you ate it. Adam, you ate it. No one shoved it down your throat. No one's held you down, opened your mouth, and make you take a bite, right? We, te- we do this with our kids all the time. When they come to us and they've done something wrong, we say, no, 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 no. What'd you do? And when we get the truth out of them, we say, okay, this, this, you, here's the consequences. You did the action. And they'll do the same thing, right? Well, so-and-so, my friend, maybe. No, 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 no. You did it. It was you. You made the choice. This is what sin does. It has us pointing fingers at everybody else, trying to blame everybody else for our actions when it's our actions that we have to take responsibility for. We did it. It was us, right? Adam needs to say, God, I did it. I ate. Eve needs to say, God, I did it. I ate. But they don't. They point fingers. Finger pointing doesn't get us very far. One doesn't make a lot of friends either. So God's got to deal with this sin problem now. He was hoping not to deal with, but he's got to. And so this is what happens. Verse 14 says so Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And now verse 15 is really important. Pay attention to it, okay? And I will put enmity, it's strife or conflict, between you and the woman and be- between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now God curses the serpent as he should, because they're gross, right? He says, no, this is what you did. You're on your belly, you're eating dust, and no one's going to like you because you're disgusting. And then verse 15 comes, which is fantastic. It's, called the, it's been called the Proto-Evangelum. It's the first mentioning of a plan to bring this whole thing back together. It's the first mentioning of a Savior. Adam and Eve had just sinned, and God's already got a plan to fix it. And, and it, I'll explain it to you, okay? So he's talking to the serpent, which we know is Satan. He says, I will put enmity between strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, this is talking about Jesus. The strife comes between women, who you, you ladies, God bless you, have to bring all of us into existence. We're very thankful for that. The Virgin Mary brings Jesus into existence. And Jesus, when he's on the cross, his heel is struck and bruised. Not physically. And I've never personally had a bruised heel. I've heard they're extraordinarily painful. They hurt a lot. But when Jesus comes back to life, you know what he does to Satan? In his power, he does some head crushing, right? Some defeating. And so Genesis 3.15 is the proto-event. It's the first mentioning of God's plan of how he's going to put this thing back together. And it's through the person of Jesus, through the Virgin Mary, through the woman who will have this Jesus who will come, who will live a sinless, perfect life and be offered as a sacrifice on the cross for us. Satan wins then for a moment, guys, as Jesus hangs on the cross shouting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he takes all of our sin and all of our junk on himself. But Satan loses come Sunday when the grave cannot hold him and he comes back to life, taking death with him. Because Satan's greatest tool death. That's all he's got, guys, is death. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we put all of our trust in him, the scripture tells us what? That death isn't the end. And if death's not the end, God wins. And here it is, right from the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God's got a plan, and he's going to make this thing right again. It didn't take him long to come up with a plan, but he's got it. Now, the consequences of sin always has been, there always will be. Even today for us, right? There's consequences. In, and here come the consequences. This is the part we weren't looking forward to, right? As kids. It's like, oh, okay. Took the yelling. Now here come the consequences. So to, to Eve, he says, I'll make your pains in childbirth very severe. Sorry, ladies, you can blame Eve every time you have a child. I'm like, oh, Eve, if you were here right now. Woo! Right? I've just witnessed it. It looks... Hard, I'm not going to lie. Never had to do it. With painful labor, labor, excuse me, you will give birth to children. And then there's another one. So there's painful childbirth. That's bad enough, right? Number two is interesting. This is very, it's fascinating. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Which is telling us there's going to be conflict in marriage. Now I think we, it's it's interesting ground as we talk about it, right? As men, our job is to lead. We should be leaders. I think Christ is has told us to do that of our households. But again, we came back to the, to the rib thing, right? Being a leader doesn't mean you say jump and she jumps. That's not leadership. That's a tyrant. That's, that's poor. If, you, if, if you're a man and you want to talk about this in my office later, that's fine. I'm six foot three, 250 pounds, so I'm just warning you, okay? But we can have this conversation. Just saying. Just putting those out there. That's my stats, okay? As men, leadership is not being a tyrant. That's not a leader. Leadership is listening. Leadership is saying, hey, what do you think? It's a partnership. You remember, the story began as one flesh. Well, one flesh isn't, I'm great and you're not. But sin does something to our relationships. And this is it. And it's interesting to me to look at it and go, wait a second here. We're going to have conflict and strife. 
if we both are trying to lead all the time, what happens? We're always bumping heads. But you know his strength, and he knows your strengths. And so when it's time for you to lead, you lead. And when it's time for him to lead, he leads. That's the rib, right? We're partners in this together. But sin makes it hard for that one flesh thing to come together. Sin makes us want to have control all the time, doesn't it? And we can't. And I think that's what we're talking about here in the end of verse 16, is this conflict between husband and wife that shouldn't, doesn't have to be there if we do our job and we do it correctly. Here comes Adam's punishment. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Bruce, this is the part that's going to hurt you a lot. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Those weeds, right? They're going to be the death of all of us, man. We are picking weeds yesterday. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Thanks, Adam. Right? Every time you go out in your garden and you pick weeds, you go, thanks a lot, Adam, you jerk. It's all because of you. No weeds in the garden until sin enters the... But he was, what's, what's, what's the punishment for Adam? Man, I used to provide food. God provided everything for you. Shelter, food, all of it. It's up to you now, bud. Get out there. Work. Now, work isn't bad in and of itself, right? I mean, I think they, were, they had jobs in the garden. God says, you're going to tend this. You're going to take care of it. But it's harder now. As God says, it's under the, through the sweat of your brow you'll be eating now. And that's, that's true, isn't it? That's, that's for sure. God's given the punishment, and now it's time for them to figure out how to live now. To live a whole different way. So Adam names his wife Eve, which is, means the mother of the living. That's what it means. That's why he names her that. And said, so the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Notice he makes garments of skin. Now, pre-sin, there's no such thing as death. So Adam and Eve most likely just ate from the fruit, right? That, not, they're not killing animals or eating, but once sin comes into the, per, the picture and death's there, God takes an animal of some kind, kills it, and makes clothes for Adam and Eve. And the Lord said to them, to probably the angels and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So now that he's eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he can't eat from this tree anymore, right? Because if you eat from this tree in, the, in their current state, what happens? They live in sin forever. So they can't eat from this tree because they ate from this one. Kind of a bummer because this tree is great to eat from, right? And so God does what he doesn't want to do. Sin forces his hand in verse 23, it says, So the Lord God banished him, Adam, and also Eve, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life, saying, Hey, I wouldn't try that or things are going to end well, right? Don't try to cross the flaming sword or you'll be in pieces. But the point of it is to keep them from eating from the Tree of Life. Because if they do, they live in sin Forever. And that's not God's plan and God's desire. 
Now, next week, we're going to go literally to the other end of the Bible. Because you're going to see that these trees actually make a, one of them especially makes a, another appearance in Scripture. And this is a very quick kind of survey of, of, the, whole, of the theme of, of the Bible, which is perfection, not perfection, back to perfection. God creates Adam and Eve, and they're without sin. And they mess it up. And God puts a plan together to put it all back together. And he works that plan, and he's continuing, continually working that plan in us until a day comes when he comes again. And that's what we'll look at next week. When he comes again, what happens? Hopefully we've learned a little bit about sin. One, we've all committed it. We've all done it. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Now, we had a good discussion in our Bible study while we aren't sinners anymore as we are put our faith in Christ, we do yet still sin, right? And so I know some people get confused when I talk about myself as a sinner. I fall short. I don't always measure up. Sin is missing the, the target, right? It's not getting a bullseye every time. And so I explained it to them, and I want to make it clear to you guys as well, that I view myself as a sinner in recovery. That's what I am. I'm a sinner who falls short sometimes, trying my darndest not to, knowing that I will. And while I've never been to AA, I have read through the 12 steps, and one of them is admitting you have a problem. And by the fact that you're here, you know that you and I, we have a problem. It's called sin. And it's a problem. But luckily, we have someone who will fix the problem. His name is Jesus. And he took all that sin and junk with him to the cross. If you're here today and you have not yet put your faith in him, think about it, would you? Because you have a problem like the rest of us. But we're, we're no longer called sinners by our God because of the work in which Jesus has done. While we still fall short and we still mess up, God has so much more in store for us than that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come to this place and to worship you through, through song, through taking of your elements, through giving of our, of our resources, and through, through your word. God, we just, we've got nothing to give. Our hands are empty, God. We've got nothing to give you. You give us everything. So all, all we can really give you is our hearts. That's the only thing that you can't take is our hearts. And so, God, we, we come before you today and every day, and we give them to you, knowing you're the only one that can be trusted with them, that everybody else will let us down, everybody else will fail us, but you won't. That you'll be there through it all. And so we give you our heart today and every day, and we ask that you would change us, that you would mold us, that you would transform us, that you would make us new every day, that we would look more like you as we live this life and go out into the, to work, to school, to wherever we go, and be a light for you knowing that we're not perfect, that we will mess up, that we will sin, but that you have forgiven us of everything. And God, that's good news. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, whose death and burial and resurrection has changed everything for us, and it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen.